Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 17, the Francois Gagnon Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pitlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we begin, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. I'm excited to bring on my next guest as we have some history together from many years ago. Francois Gagnon was one of the beat writers when I played for the Ottawa Senators, so I had a lot of conversations with him during my time there. I spoke with him a few weeks ago after 24 years and he told me he still remembers my first NHL goal at Madison Square Garden versus the Rangers. How cool is that? When most of us think about a hockey journey, we think of one through the eyes of a player. But not everyone has that opportunity for a variety of reasons. But there's another group of individuals that have had a hockey journey, reached the top of their game, but just in a different sector. Francois is one of those stories and is currently a professional writer for RDS covering the historic Montreal Canadiens franchise. From a journalist's perspective, I don't think there can be a more prestigious position in the hockey world, especially if you're French-Canadian. I try to do my due diligence in preparing for interviews, but Francois is a ghost online, so I'm going to have to get creative in my attempt to extract his hockey journey for all of you listening today. This is going to be awesome. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Francois Gagnon to the show. Welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast, my friend. Hey, it's great to be here. It's great to be with you after, uh, let's say, a long hiatus. It's, uh, it has been a, a long time, and uh, I'm so excited uh, that you were willing to come on the show uh, because you do have a hockey journey. Yep, yep, I do. It's, it's funny because... I was listening to your introduction there, and I realized that, you know, I first covered sport when I was at school. <laughs> I was never the best at anything in sport, but I could, I could write, I could speak, I could look and analyze and say, oh, this was good, this was not that good, and started at school like you did in hockey. I uh, covered junior hockey like you did playing whoa, in the whoa, minors. Whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm calling a timeout here, Francois, because you're driving a Ferrari right now. And <laughs> I, I need you to get on a little moped or something or a bicycle. We've got to slow this back. So uh, let me ask you the first thing. So before we get into your journalism, journalism career, I'd like you to rewind the tape. And let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? Did you play hockey or other sports? Because I've heard that... Uh, uh, an interview before he had a great line how he said he goes up in Canada aren't kids pulled out of the womb by their hockey skates <laughs> by their <laughs> blades so basically give us a snapshot of what it was like going growing up Francois uh you know what I I traveled a lot when I was a kid because my dad uh, did his PhD in Sweden uh, and uh, when we came back I was five six years old uh from Sweden I uh, uh Unfortunately for me, I learned Swedish over there, but I lost it completely, and I didn't get any really good skills hockey-wise. So, uh, like every kid, I was playing hockey in the street with my friends at school, watching the game. I was lucky enough to uh, 
uh, get the right uh, to watch the midweek game because in my younger years, you had hockey on the uh, French CBC, on Radio-Canada, twice a week, uh, the Wednesday and the Saturday night. And I could watch the first period of the Wednesday game before going to bed, and that was always a blast. But the thing is, I was good at watching the game. I was certainly not good at playing the game. <laughs> so uh, I remember I asked my, my, my folks, I said, I want to play. So the way it was in those years, and I'm speaking here early uh, in the 1970s, um, you know, you were going on a heist. It was so crowded. You would be uh, uh, 75, 80, 90 skaters, and they would pick and choose. They would look at you. How can he skate? Can he turn one side or <laughs> both sides? Uh, can he uh, dribble with the puck? Can he handle the stick? Can he do something? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you were looking at me and you could not check one of those box. It was no, no, not really. Uh, maybe later, maybe someday, or you know, let's, let, let's go somewhere else. And the thing is that that first practice was at six o'clock a Saturday morning. That was too early for my dad and for my mom. So we came back. They realized that I was not even mediocre. I was just awful. And they said, you know what? We're going to try skiing. And that became my sport of predilection when I was a kid. But hockey was the real world. It was everything. Early 70s, the Summit Series, Canada versus the Soviet Union. I mean, we were playing in the streets, you know, trying to emulate those superstars from Russia or the old Soviet Union and from Canada. You know, we were in a bunch of us on the street Uh, the bad guys were on one side, the good guys were on the other, <laughs> and we had a great time. But I was good with my boots on. Whenever I was putting skates on, man, it could not be possible for me. So here I am after many years. I'm playing, well, not playing anymore. I wish I would do it. I, I played a little bit of uh, beer league hockey. I loved it all those years, but I was not better than than I was early on in my career. So I play for fun, but I cover the game as my passion, as my work, and I try it, try to do it as good as I can. And I've been doing that for uh, the most part of the last 25, 30 years now. So did you, did you end up playing, besides skiing, did you end up uh, playing any other competitive sports growing up or uh, skiing was that... Uh where you stopped and you just had fun playing hockey. Ski was where I stopped. I would tell you that right now at uh, uh, roughly 60 years old, my competitive sport is golf. At my uh, uh, golf uh, club, I try to be uh, in the final uh, foursome on the golf championship. I've never won. Uh, I'm always a runner-up, and that shows you that, you know, when the challenge is big, uh, some guys tend to, uh, you know, race to the occasion And I tend to choke a little bit, which to show you that I'm a reporter. I'm not a real sports person <laughs> or a real athlete. Let's put it this way. Uh, well, I, you know, were you, did you kind of feel like an oddball because you, you didn't play hockey competitively growing up in Canada? In the early 70s, yes, because that was the only thing. I mean, that was it. Uh, hockey was the sport. If you were good at hockey... It seems like everything else was easy. And you know what? When you're good or really good at one sport, you tend to be good at other sports too. So in those years, the guys that were having all the attention 
were, uh, you know, playing for the AAA teams and uh, uh, intercities uh, uh, leagues and everything. They were also good at baseball. So it was baseball in the summer. It was hockey in the winter. Those guys were the superstars. So I was looking at them and uh, trying to stay around, even though I could not be in the inner circle because I was not part of the bunch. So that's the way for me. That was the way for me to follow what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So you finally you realized pretty early on that uh, <laughs> playing sports wasn't your your mojo. But uh, as you got older, uh, did you have that feeling towards journalism and writing and uh, just media that you had something that might be a little different and a real passion for it? You know that that that's it. Uh, you know I could not feel that I could do it. You know at a, a big level in sports. You know, I was decent in hockey. I'm decent at golf. I was mediocre at best in hockey. So you don't, you know, you can't cheat yourself. You know that you're not good enough to have more than just fun when you play for it. But, you know, when I decided to follow the path of uh, the father of a great friend of mine uh, when I was a kid in Quebec City, and I decided to follow his footsteps in in journalism, uh, and especially in sports journalism, um, I said, I have skills, and I need to use them, and I need to follow that path and try to go as far as I can. So, you know, I always take pride at myself saying I'm a journalist. I started not in sport. I, you know, I started like any other uh, journalist, uh, went to the cop desk, uh, going from one accident to uh, one fire somewhere, you knock at doors to speak with witnesses, to speak with victims, trying to find a way to uh, make sure that you're not intruding in their life, but at the other end, that you are just getting in uh, uh, softly and mildly enough so that they can give you some, uh, you know, some some things to write or speak about and and make sure that the people that will read or listen to your stories will understand what has been going on for them. And I applied that to sports. And it's the same thing. I mean, I, uh, since I started in junior hockey, I was going to see some kids. I was talking to their parents watching in the, in the stands. And I was not only covering athletes, I was covering people and I wanted to know what was going on in their life, uh, how they felt about uh, the, uh, you know, the, the challenge they were facing, how they felt if they could get to the next level, if this was the top they could go, uh, how great it was for them to reach that. So that's always been the way I looked at my job, uh, trying to find stories beside the game uh, to make sure that people would understand what's going on, uh, you know, underneath the hockey equipment right right well before uh before we get into the the hockey uh stuff you had brought up uh some points about you know checking out fires or accidents and stuff and i've watched lots of movies you know these crime movies or investigative reporting things where these these reporters they they get so immersed in the story and trying to figure it out. Uh, have you ever been part of something like that where it was just all consuming and like relationships were starting to, to get stressed out because of it, your, your commitment to it? 
Well, sometimes it gets dangerous. You know, when you're working on the cop desk, uh, you have to deal with a portion of the population that is only that. It's only a portion. But because you're in that world 24-7, you tend to believe that everybody's a criminal or, you know, you look suspicious to everything and, and, and you make sure you, you look at something and you say, okay, there's a catch over here. What's the problem over there? So at some point, I had to step back a little bit because it was getting over with my uh, normal life. You know, once, as you said, once what you're doing is getting too um, too much space in your head and between your ears and become the way you live, it's not good. So you need to step back. And that's exactly what I did. I always wanted to be in sports. So, you know, there was an opening there and I, I was able to, uh, to go from the, the first part of my career to the second one and hopefully the last one. But I, uh, I tried with the experience to have, to be as involved as I can without being too intrusive and to make sure that that would be, uh, I would separate uh, enough with what was happening around me so I would not get caught into this. Because, you know, it's, it's a small world and it's a great world. Uh, more so in the early years when I started, when you were playing for the Ottawa Senators, we were traveling together, players, reporters, you could develop some relationship and then you have to make sure that You understand the player who you're talking to, uh, the coach who you're talking to, the GM who you're talking uh, but you, you need to respect them, but you have to be careful not to become too friendly because you still need to find a way to be as neutral as possible, even though it's impossible to be always 100% neutral. But I tended to do that as much as I could. So I tried to stay a witness of what was going on instead of being an actor uh, or getting uh, active into what was going around me uh, as a reporter, sports-wise or, you know, uh, crime desk-wise. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're playing both sides of the fence and you got to manage, you know, relationships that are going to last over time. And uh, I'm sure that that's difficult, that different situations that happen. But uh, talk to me about the the one time that you got your big break because everyone gets thrown a bone once in a while and a lot of cases it comes to you when you least expect it when was your big break in the journalism sector well i've been i've been fortunate enough to have uh, two big breaks and the first one was uh, i was in ottawa with le droit newspaper which uh, still is the french newspaper in ottawa Uh, and they were covering the senators when the senators came in. But before that, they were covering the All-Olympics, the junior hockey team, and the Ottawa 67s, who are the other junior team in Ottawa in the OHL, and the other one is in the queue. Now, I was supposed to jump into the senators, uh, covering the senators, but if you remember that year, 94-95, there was a lockout that took away the first half of the season. So I was inexperienced yep. in sport. I was supposed to get to the senators. I felt ready, but certainly I was not. So they decided to give me the All-Olympics uh, coverage to start the season. And the, because the senators were no longer there because the NHL was under lockout, you know, I gave to the Olympics a coverage that was similar to the Ottawa Senators one. And 
Jose Theodore was traded to Hull. Sébastien Bordelot was the captain there. There were already some superstars in the junior league in Quebec. And, and I was able to cover that team to, uh, to understand uh, the, the way things were. And you know how it is in hockey. You know somebody once, you know him forever. Claude Julien was the assistant coach of the All-Olympics that year in, in Hull. And he, he became the head coach that everybody knows in the NHL. So starting there gave me the occasion to develop ties with my job, with players of the All-Olympic and the other teams around the queue. So I met a lot of people that I, I crossed before, after that in the NHL. They knew me. I knew them. They knew they could trust me because of an earlier relationship. And that made it easier for me. But after that, the, the real big one was after a couple of years covering the Senators, and, and you were part of the uh, Mighty Sands at that time, um, a whole bust of mine uh, in Ottawa that moved to Quebec City, my hometown. Uh, he was the head of Le Soleil newspaper, which is the sun in French. And that was the paper that I delivered when I was a kid. And he needed somebody in Montreal. He knew me from the cop years, and early my, in the sports. And he said, you know what? I was, I was a tough employee because I always wanted to give me some space, give me some, give, let me do this and that and that. But I was always bringing it on and, and giving to uh, my boss what they were asking for. I just needed some leeway. So he came to me and he said, I know you will give me a hard time because you always did give me a hard time, but I'll be living in Quebec City And I need somebody in Montreal to work for me. And I won't be able to check out every moves that he's going to do. I know one thing. You'll be hard to follow, but you will do the job. And he moved me and my family to Montreal. That was uh, in 98. And uh, I became uh, Le Soleil sports reporter or NHL columnist uh, uh, for that paper and for Le Droit. And that's when everything started in Montreal covering the uh, Montreal Canadiens. And again who became the coach of the, uh, uh, the uh, Montreal Canadiens that year. It was Alain Vigneault, who was once the coach of the All-Olympics. And I, uh, I covered him as a part-time reporter uh, before my years at, uh, at Le Droit newspaper. So you see how things always, uh, you know, get in motion in sports. It's like that for hockey players who are playing 10, 15 years after some with somebody they met early on in their career as a, in the minor hockey or in junior hockey or whatever, it is the same thing for reporters. You know, we cross pat with people that we met earlier and the souvenir that you get from those early years will help you or hurt you whenever you cross them again uh, later on in their career. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I look at, what you just said, what you went through, it almost, you know, is we were going through the same thing because I don't know if I was ready for the NHL yet, and I got sent to PEI during the, the lockout. You were covering Hull, and then once everything turned around, uh, because of those experiences that we had, we got a little more seasoning at our craft. We were patient. Uh then an opportunity came and we were ready and it just shows you how important relationships are and connect connectivity 
of uh, people that you've met throughout the years. Exactly. And you know what? I sometimes I speak to, uh, uh, you know, students who are looking at the job and they say, what can I do to make sure that I'll be a sports journalist? And I say the answer is always the same. Start by being a journalist. Yes. Don't close doors. Open them. Keep keep open to everything. Like, you know, a kid comes to you and say, Coach Lance, I want to play left defense. And you will answer, and I'm sure, well, let's play hockey first. Let's see where you can play. Have fun all around. Go in net. Be a center. Take face-offs. Be a winger. Skate. Have fun. And you will find a way to be a hockey player instead of just focusing on the fact that you want to be a lefty defenseman, a crafty player. You need to have all the, uh, uh, you said the spices, that's exactly it. Open doors instead of closing some by saying, this is what I want to do. Try to be good at everything. And maybe you will find out that you can succeed and be great at something into that. Yes. Uh, such good messaging. The, I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit. You know, it's, it's never been more easy for people to gain information and access or, you know, access uh, other people's journeys. You know, and we always talk about if you want to get to a certain spot or want to achieve something, uh, there's probably someone that's already followed that path before you and they're willing to, to give you uh, everything that they've learned, and most of the time it's for free. Uh, we're talking about mentorship here. Did did you have a mentor that really, you know, took you to another level and got you thinking in a different way that uh, you didn't beforehand, and it really changed your trajectory? I uh, I I was lucky enough to work with a lot of great guys, competitors that became my friend and made me better. Uh, if you remember those years in Ottawa, Bruce Gary, uh, Chris Stevenson, uh, all the guys from The Sun, from The Citizen, yeah. uh, Roy McGregor, who was and still is, uh, you know, a, a, an artist when he put words together. You know, I don't have that. Roy is a superstar. I'm a blue cutter type of hockey player. I need to go in the corners face first. I need to get my <laughs> nose dirty. I need to work, work hard to get my stories. That's the, kind, the type of guy I am. But because I work with all those great people, you know, I was able to understand what things were coming around. My mentor, if I want to use this, I, I, I talked to you about him uh, a little bit earlier, was the, the father of the dad of a great friend of mine that lives in Europe now. And uh, that man died many years ago. But, you know, he had a vision. In, in, the, in the early 80s, he was the only sports reporter that I knew that was working at print, on radio, and on TV. And I remember going at him at, you know, behind the back of my buddy because he never liked us to talk to his dad because his dad was like a superstar in Quebec City. And we felt that he was, uh, you know, he was untouchable. And I went to him. His name was Guy Lemieux. And I said, Mr. Lemieux, I said, I'd love to do this. What's your, what's your, what's your way for me to tell me, follow this path? And he said, you know what? I don't know what the job would look like in 10 or 15 years, but I'm convinced that you will, be, you will need to do radio, 
to do TV and to write at the same time if you want to succeed or give you the better chance to succeed. And that's exactly what I did. And when you look at my career, I worked at many newspapers. You know, the business of newspaper is going down a bit. Some papers became websites. I wor I'm working on a website right now at RDS. I go on TV. I do radio shows. I worked on radio shows, many, uh, many of them during my career. So that would be, uh, I would say that uh, the, the, the path that I was given a direction uh, into uh, uh, in the early 80s, and that's exactly the one that I followed. And I will never be able to thank Guillaume enough to give me that advice in, that, in those years uh, because that was the best one I've never got. So I'm assuming that you, when you got this advice from Mr. Lemure, that uh, you didn't have any, you weren't getting money at all. So at that moment, did you start trying to write on a daily basis? I did at the, uh, uh, what we have in Quebec, it's, uh, it's called the CEGEP. So it would be uh, pre-college. I don't know what it is in, in the States, but we, we have two years to do be, between uh, the high school and college. Okay. So uh, uh, we were at many teams, basketball teams, uh, swimming team, badminton team, uh, you know, and I was following the uh, basketball and I had friends uh, at the volleyball teams. So we had a small, I cannot call that a paper. It was like more a pamphlet. You know, you had uh, two, three stories uh, that you could write. And we were having a ball, a few guys and I uh, working on that and finding ways to write stories. I remember writing little things on the fact that the basketball, the, the, the girls' basketball team uh, won against uh, another team, going, giving that to the uh, real reporters that were working at Le Journal de Québec and Le Soleil, where I worked uh, many, many years afterwards, just to give that and, and look at the paper the next day or two days after, and you could see a few lines on the fact that uh, uh, the team of Le Cégep Saint-Foy won or lost this game or that game. So... It was obviously you were not getting any money for that, but you were getting a lot of pride to see that the uh, you know that the work that you've done, even though it was so tiny in the paper, came into the paper and you were able to get it through to everybody. So that was that was my uh, that was my uh, payday uh, in those years. Luckily enough, it got better a little bit, but uh, contrary to the hockey players of today. I will still need to work until 65 or later uh, before getting retirement. I will not be able to retire in the early 30s. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I don't like that word retirement because, you know, this is what makes you, you know, tick. This is what makes you get up in the morning and uh, it would be doing people a disservice if you stop. Uh, so it might not be your current job, but maybe you start your own podcast and I don't even know if you already have a podcast, but maybe you start doing <laughs> your own thing. <laughs> I should think about it. I'm, I'm lacking time a little bit to do because of everything else. But, you know, when you say retirement, I agree with you. You stop to do the day-to-day -day things that you've been doing for a while, but it doesn't mean to stop. First thing first, my, my wife would go crazy. And secondly, my mind would become numb because, you know, I've been running around for uh, like uh, almost uh, 11 months a year, almost seven days a week uh, doing what I do. And you cannot just stop and just say, okay, I'm going to enjoy life. I will go crazy in uh, three days. 
or maybe four, but I will go crazy if I don't do anything. So, uh, you know, I will do something else. That's for sure. And a quick word from our sponsor, Sniper's Edge Hockey. Sniper's Edge Hockey is your one-stop shop for your at-home hockey training needs on and off the ice. Find the perfect start to your at-home training area with slick tiles, synthetic ice, or a rink liner. Or upgrade your home setup with one of our top quality training tools to help you work on soft hands, all of your deeks and dangles, perfect your one-timer, and improve the power and accuracy of your shot. Find it all online and in stock for immediate shipping at snipersedgehockey.com. Uh, so you've been covering hockey players for a long time and, you know, every game you watch, they're put into stressful situations game after game. Uh, some games are more of a pressure cooker than others, but somehow they figure out how to perform in that environment most days. Now, I know you've talked about your process of, uh, putting things together, stories and interviews and stuff like that, but I'm sure... Uh, out of your control, there there are really tight deadlines, and you might have a number of stories that you got to get into, get in on time. Uh, how do how do you uh, manage the stress of tight deadlines, and does that happen often for you? Uh, it happened a lot more in the paper years, especially when uh, I was traveling with the team. You know, you guys are taking showers after giving us. Uh, uh, answering to a few questions we need to write those answers quickly run into the bus to catch the flight and everything those years were tough luckily enough i was younger i was uh, quicker uh, in my thought process and in the way i was working uh, today i am more of a uh, uh, analyst type of guy so i'm not uh, as much on the uh, on the beat writing that i was so it gives me a little bit more time but dealing with that stress you know is something is something crazy and dealing with the reality uh, of the team that you're covering also you know i remember some nights going into a dressing room and you know because he knows that this or that player played a, an awful game and he knows that you need to ask a question it's never easy to do so and uh, it's a lot easier when to go to a guy who had a career night uh, and his team won and everything is good but when things are tough, it makes the job tougher because you need to do it, but you need to do it in a way that you will not become the enemy. And when the, the door will open, uh, players will look at you and say, oh, no, not Gagnon again who's going to come and uh, rub it in my face or something. So there's ways to do things. And for me, uh, that was the most stressful part of the job, making sure that a player will understand that you have to ask that question but you did it in a respectful way and that, you know, when you're going to leave, you're going to say, hey, he did his job. I didn't do mine tonight, so better, chance, better luck next time. And, and, and that, that for me, even more so than the deadlines, uh, was the toughest part of my job. Yeah. Well, just know that uh, at least when I was uh, in the NHL that they had media training and I remember this like yesterday, and they, they say exactly what you did, that uh, all they're looking for is a little bit of your time, and unfortunately, you're not going to be the first star every night, but they have to do what they got to do, and that's part of the business that you're in. Uh, but I always found that I, I, I took the reporters just looking for a few minutes of your time, and I always gave that to the reporters. Uh, and I, I think that 
when you do have a bad game that if you have a crappy relationship with that reporter or don't give them the time of day, they're going to expand on that bad game. Yeah. But if you do have a, a, a good relationship uh, that, you know, they'll say what they got to say, but they're not going to, you know, write four more paragraphs about it. But you know what? Things changed so much in the last years, not only because COVID that make, make, the, make the situation awful because we cannot go to the room anymore. And you cannot just wait that the cameras are away to go a little bit deeper with a guy and understand more what happened. But, you know, in, in the earlier days, we had time. You know, flying commercial flights, waiting in airports. You could go to a player and you could speak with a player. You could understand what was going on. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in, in your years in Ottawa, when the Ottawa Senators uh, got uh, Steve Duchesne via trade, I remember calling him because I got his phone number. And he was blunt and he said, I, I asked him, how do you feel? And he said, I'm not really happy. I was not looking forward to get to Ottawa. I wrote that story, but I wrote it in a way that it was respectful and polite. And when he came in, he said, of course, I was not happy, but I tried to make it good. And after that, he played some really good hockey with you guys until there was a sequence when he was not the same. You probably knew that in the room at that time, but the fans and the reporters didn't knew it. And one day in the airport, I went at him and I said, Steve, what's going on? You're not the same player on the ice. And he told me, you know what? He said, my son was born with a, a visual uh, uh, defect in his eye. And I'm completely, you know, hurt by that situation. And I cannot think about anything else. And I said, you need to st say the story. You need the fans to know that. Because you're not a robot on the ice. You're a human being. When things are going well in your real world, they will go well on the ice. Or there will be more chances that they go well in the ice. But when it's tough at home, you know, even though you don't want to get too intrusive, there's a way to explain it. So he gave me the story, came to me afterwards, and he said, you know, I don't want to write that. I don't want you to write the story. I feel, I, I feel that people will look at me. And I said, trust me, let me do my job and you'll see. And I did it. And on the radio shows the next day, You know, people would understand and say, we're all in, the, in, all in with uh, Steve Duchesne, with what he's living, and we'll wait for him to come back. And remember that year, he scored that goal later on in the season against Buffalo that took the game to the, the, uh, the first time in the playoff, and everything after that was history. So that's an example of finding ways to develop ties with players and make sure that those relationships will suit the player the team, the reporter, and the fans all together. Now we don't speak to the kids anymore. First thing first, they are way younger, so they haven't lived enough to be able to give that type of stories. But they live in a world when, where they are kept so far away of the reality of the reporters and the fans that it makes it really tough uh, to be able to give a good, you know, a good image, a good portrait of who they are to the hockey fans. Right. And, you know, you mentioned how it's so different now. I, I think athletes are pretty guarded just because before you had the people, you knew exactly who the people could report on you. 
now it is anyone with a phone that you know can yeah. be picking you apart. So uh, I don't know what that reality is, but I, I'm sure it's you know more difficult for both sides, uh, you and and the the athlete. Well, it's crazy for both sides. You're right because you know there are so many websites here and there, and they look great. Those websites, and sometimes you feel. So who's behind that? I mean, it looks serious and you realize that it's uh, and no offense to kids are that are trying to do the way they are. But, you know, it's uh, kids that are working from their basement who gather information from that paper, this paper, this TV station, and they bring it all together. Quote, unquote, they steal the stories and they put it there. And, and, and then you believe when you go from one side to the other that this one is legit as much as the other, which is not the case. But as you said, you can get information from so many places now that it's hard to know and to, to make sure that this one is better than the other one or this truth is the real one uh, compared to the other one who is more rumors, a rumor mill type of thing. Yes. It's so... Oh. <laughs> it is, yeah, for you to, to search. I mean, even for me, I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, trying to find information about you and you know I, I don't know if some of it's true or not um let's shift gears gears here a little bit um you've covered a lot um over the years uh from from your point of view now i want to clarify something were you born in sweden or you you no. were uh, canada right I, i was born in canada i was born in quebec city and my dad was in uh Uh, is uh, doing was doing his uh, pharmaceutical uh, studies uh, at that time. So uh, traveled from Quebec to Montreal because he went to McGill University. He did his PhD in Stockholm. So the family followed him over there. Uh, we lived there for a while and uh, came back and traveled around to go back to Quebec City uh, later on. So I, I traveled a lot, but I was Quebec born and raised and okay. still deep in my heart. Uh, Quebec Nordic hockey fan because that was the team of my youth. Okay, all right. Well, being a French Canadian and a journalist covering Montreal, too bad if it was Quebec. You know, it would have been a little better. But uh, <laughs> that's the that's the top of what you were hoping to achieve. I imagine. Is there something else you'd still like to accomplish as a professional journalist? Uh, yes. I. You know what. I, I, there are two things that I would like. I was lucky enough. I covered Olympic Games. I covered the World Cup. I covered the Olympic Games when the NHL players were there. So that was outstanding. The golden uh, goal of uh, uh, Sidney Crosby in the Vancouver Games in 2010 will still wow. be one of the highlights of my, of my career. Wow. Uh, I would like to see the Nordic come back to Quebec City. I don't believe it's feasible, but I'm still dreaming about it. And I would like to work and to get the, uh, uh, let's put it this way, the, uh, the frenzy of the 25th Stanley Cup for the Montreal Canadian. Uh, you know, I've witnessed those earlier on uh, Stanley Cups when I was a kid watching the games. Uh, that team was unbelievable. I was a witness of the 86 Cup and the 93 Cup. And the 93 Cup, I was more involved. I was already a reporter, but not uh, starting in my career. And I was not in Montreal, but I would love, <clears throat> sorry, to live that experience 
after witnessing what happened last summer when the Canadians went to the Stanley Cup Finals and lost against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, it was crazy in Montreal and in the province of Quebec. So having to the chance to live it to a decisive game that the Canadians would win, especially here in Montreal, I, I mean, that would be like, like, you know, the cream of the crop. That would be the highest point I could cover as a hockey columnist in Quebec and Montreal. So it, it would be, that would be unbelievable. So, uh, well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we're getting to the end here, but since you brought up last season, uh, you look at last year and this year for the Habs, and it's been at the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, talk about the differences of the two and the challenges or pressures that, uh, you know, have appeared because of the difference in these seasons. Has it been really challenging for you to, to keep it going this year? I mean, as of late, it's been awesome. But uh, before that, I mean, everything that could go wrong for that franchise went wrong. Oh, the first, 44, uh, first 45 games, it was hell. It was crazy. Because, you know, as you said it, you know, everything they were trying to do didn't go well. Uh, they, had, they had many, many injuries, that's for sure. But, you know, you could feel it with experience that at some point there's a breakage point between a coach and his players. And the players were, uh, you know, they were out of it. There was something, something happened. I don't know exactly what I have. Uh, I think that, you know, the fact that one practice, uh, one day off was cut and replaced by a practice in L.A., especially early on in the season, that didn't help uh, Dominic Duchamp with his players. The fact that uh, Shea Weber was not there, Carey Price was not there uh, for obvious reason, that brought a lot of turmoil into the team. And they could not understand how it was possible for them to be as close as the Stanley Cup as they were last year in the playoff and to fall out the way it was going. But you know what? There's a say in hockey that get into the playoff and you never know what can happen. Yep. Early on in the playoff, the Canadians were far, far away from the Stanley Cup. They felt a little bit lucky to be in the playoff because of the weakness of the Canadian division. But then... They beat Toronto. Suddenly, they start playing well. Shea Weber is, knows for a fact that his health will probably put his career in jeopardy. Carey Price was as good as he ever was for the Montreal Canadiens. And those two players took the team to the Stanley Cup final. Now, they were not there early on in the season. They, stopped, they start losing early. They probably felt that things would get better. Injuries came in. And then... It was complete, a complete disaster. So when Dominique Duchamp was fired, it was not a question of, is he going to get fired? It was a question of when. And that loss, 7-1 against the Devils, that was as low as the team could get. And the plan was not to fire him at that point. And that's exactly what the, uh, the new GM, Kent Hughes, and, and the VP of Hockey Operation, Jeff Gordon, told everybody. But they had no choice. Now, you see Martin Saint-Louis come in. There's no pressure, obviously. They can surprise teams, but they are playing better. They are playing well. And he's finding a way to get players involved. 
You know, you won't say it, but I can do it. The pick of Rem Pitlick on waivers was an unbelievable move for the Canadian. It was a great move. He's playing well. He, he was not involved in all the problems before. So he's bringing a fresh start to his career and to the team. Guys are more involved. The team is winning. And Price and Weber are still far away from the team. Maybe Price is going to come back this season. As of Shea Weber, I don't believe he will ever play hockey again. So it shows that it was not only the injuries early on. It was all the atmosphere. And I've witnessed that so many times in my career, either in Ottawa, in Montreal, or around the NHL. You could feel it when you get to the room. You could feel that the players are fed up with the coach, that the coach is fed up with his players, that he don't believe in them anymore, and they don't believe in him anymore. And then you know that a firing will happen. You just don't know when it's going to come. So that was the situation for the Canadians this season. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure as much as it's been up and down for them, it's, you know, how are you going to extract stories week after, you know, day after day, week after week. Um, uh, but they've been a fun team to watch lately. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and thank you for the kind words on Rem. Uh, I'm soon to be up there to watch a few games and hopefully see you. But I got I one you. more question for you, my friend. Yep. When it's all said and done and you decide to walk away from this profession, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a honest, respectful, and hardworking reporter. I want to be criticized by some that will say, oh, he was so negative, and to be criticized by the same amount of people that we say he was too soft. If I get those amount of criticism on one side and the other, that will mean that I did the job as good as I could do it. I was neutral in the way I was involved. I was always respectful. I did some mistakes in my career. I was always the first one to recognize them and to apologize. But you know what? For me, sending you a text message and say, hey, This is François Gagnon from RDS. You will remember me maybe as François Gagnon from Le Droit newspaper and give me, answering me back and say, dude, I know exactly who you are. For me, that's the greatest reward that I can get from my job. It means that somebody remembers you in a good way. When a player is telling you, you know what? I'm in a hurry. I'm in a rush. Can I give you a call in two hours? And in two hours later, the phone rings. That is a great reward. So if I can be remembered by the readers, by the listeners, and most of all, by the players and coaches as a guy who did everything he had to do to do his job and do it the best way he could, that would be the greatest uh, uh, compliment that I would get. And that would be something that I would cherish forever after my career. Well, I, I think you're well on your way to already establishing uh, that vibe because that's exactly what I would say about you. Um, so congratulations. <laughs> You've already achieved it and you didn't even know it. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to thank you for taking the time. This was so enjoyable for me. Uh, you probably don't know, but when I the year I retired, uh, Ottawa, they I think they won the President's Cup that year, trophy, 
and they were, you know, had a strong chance to go to the cup finals. So Roy Malacher, who we both know, he was the president of the, the Sens at the time. He wanted to bring me back, and he had uh, a little uh, journalist thing for me where I would do a show with Gary Galley. I can't remember the the radio show in the morning, but for games, I would do a pregame show on the or a, yeah pregame show, and then I would have the first question if we were at home for the the, the coaches. Uh, post-game conference. So I went out to, I went to a crash course out in South Carolina, I think, came back and started working with the team. And what I can tell you, what I didn't know as a player that I found out there is how hard you guys work. Uh, You know, you had mentioned the crew in Ottawa at the time. I I know a lot of them are still there, but that was like an all-star group. And they were so... Uh, giving to me of information on you know how to learn this craft, but what I realized was how hard you guys work. I mean, you're there before the players are there. You're there after the players are gone. Uh, you're on the phone in between trying to get little nuggets for whatever you're creating for that day. So I just want to congratulate you for uh, being part of that group because I know something with like scoops and McGregor and that rubbed off on me and something that they gave me. I'm grateful that your mentor, Mr. Lemure, uh, kind of pushed you in a direction because the world won't be the same place without uh, your contributions to it. I hope you get your cup someday. I hope <laughs> my kids are there. Uh, and I just want to congratulate you again for an awesome uh journey and continued success and i don't want to see you uh stepping away from this profession anytime soon well thank you very much for all those kind words and uh i'll i'll continue as long as i can i can tell you that well that's how it should be francois i mentioned that i'll be up in montreal soon so hopefully we can meet up face to face for a glass of wine and another great conversation perfect i'm taking you for that okay you have a great day and thanks for being on the show thanks a lot Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey podcast. I hope you enjoyed Francois Gagnon's Hockey Journey. What I found interesting is that regardless of the discipline, hockey player or hockey journalist, the process for success is exactly the same. Find your passion, seek out master coaches or mentors in that sector, and start working on your craft weekly, gaining as much knowledge and experience as you can along the way, and if you stick with it long enough, Holding true to that belief that you will eventually reach your destination, people seem to always get to where they want to go. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview, and if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might enjoy this episode, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon, and... Do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.